It is time for Smack Talk, a podcast brought to you by Webster Sports Media Club. I'm Zach Goodman, your host, and today I am joined by Sport- Jordan Smeevil. Thanks. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. And Samantha Snyder. Hey. Um, the weather's really cold. We're in February, but the NHL All-Star Game, All-Star Weekend just wrapped up, which means the NHL postseason race is really heating up. This year in the NHL, it, it hasn't been as dominant throughout, and there's a lot of close races. It's really exciting. The most dominant conference so far is the Metropolitan with Washington and Pittsburgh both just on really historic paces. I think you're seeing Washington just having a great year. I mean, Alex Ovechkin has another great year in, in his stats, and he's got three hat tricks in his last six games as of today, February 6th. It's always exciting to see him play like he's playing. There's definitely the motivation of him trying to pass up all of the people on the scoring list. I know that's been the big thing is everyone's really rooting for him to pass up Wayne Gretzky's record now. I'm not even sure he's really looking at playoffs very much except for the record. It's interesting because when you look at guys like Gretzky, the way they used to play the game and how open it was, they're putting up 200 point seasons consistently. Now you break 100 points, that's an MVP caliber season. So a completely different league and what Alex Ovechkin has done is phenomenal and it's really looking exciting, especially if they stay in the 1-2 for a, an Eastern Conference semifinal matchup with Washington and Pittsburgh, which we've seen so many times. I think it'd be great to see another Sidney uh, Crosby, Alex Ovechkin showdown as they're both starting to exit the prime of their career. Sidney Crosby more at that back back end twilight of his career but they're still there they're still he's still playing unbelievable and his talent is regarded as one of the best three players in the game still i'd, I'd look at mcdavid marshawn mckinnon but other than that crosby and ovechkin are still right up there and just the historic of it and especially as we're moving into a new decade new era it would be cool to see you don't know how many more times you're gonna see the washington capitals and the pittsburgh penguins the ovechkin versus crosby face off and i think it would be really exciting to watch that again the other team in the metropolitan that has been surprisingly good this year. I say surprisingly because they traded away a lot of their assets, not even traded away. They signed away some of their assets. They lost Panarin and they lost Duchesne, and that is the Columbus Blue Jackets. They swept the first round last year and then got eliminated in six games to the eventual runner-up Boston Bruins. But they were tagged at the start of the year to not be very good, and here they are sitting third place in the toughest division in the NHL. I think they're 8-1-1 one, and one in their last 10 games, and they've been really hot, but they have a lot of big tests coming up, including Colorado and Tampa Bay. So this is a very important part of their season for everybody, but especially for Columbus if they want to make a run at the playoffs here. Their big thing right now has been their defense, and even though they lost Bobrovsky, their goaltending has really stepped up this year. So I think it's just that they can keep on with that. If they really want to make it far, their offense probably has to pick it up a little more than it is right now because it's not looking great compared to some of their teams. But their defense is solid. Honestly, in some ways, I think Bobrovsky might have been holding them back. That Bobrovsky was constantly having issues with management, especially when they wanted him to go to sports psychologist, and he refused to. And that was a huge issue every time they made it to playoffs. So now without that stepping stone, it actually might work in their favor. Mm-hmm. And people talk about clutchness in sports and if you can even value it in a stat, and it's really tough to do so. But when you look at sports psychology and look at all the mental, just in general, the mental health things that are going on in people's lives outside of sports, but in sports, it affects you too. The pressure of those situations, everyone reacts differently to it. You could be the best goaltender in the world, but if your mind's not right, you're, I mean, it's such a mental game, especially as a goaltender. There's there's really not a lot of glory and there's a lot of pressure to if you if you let in the goal, it's on you. But there's not you can't do a score goal necessarily. So it's it's a lot of pressure and it's tough come playoff time. So that might be very important. Like you said, Sammy, their offense is definitely going to need to step it up. I know their their points leader, Pierre Dubois, only has 42 points, 17 goals on the year. So compared to everybody else in the NHL, they're definitely going to need to pick up the offense and maybe need their best players to come through. All right. Moving on to the Atlantic division. The Bruins sit on top. They're dominant once again sitting with 78 points. That's the lead lead in points. They've been dominant again. They played the exact same way they played last year, and it's looked unbelievable. I watched the game last night. Blackhawks are my favorite team. They played the Bruins last night, and you could just see the speed difference on the ice. The Bruins are so much faster than almost every team they play, and I think David Pasternak is leading the charge there, and they've always had these guys like Marshawn. They've had these guys for a number of years, and so they have great chemistry and a great coach. So I think they're definitely looking to get right back to where they were last year, and hopefully they can, in their case, finish on top this time. The big issue they'd have to deal with is making sure they don't tire themselves out. They made it all the way to the final last year, all the way to Game 7 and lost. And now they're one of the top teams in the league, which means they're pushing themselves hard. 
this could turn out to be another situation where you see with the Predators. With the Predators, they went all the way to the end. They lost to the Penguins. And then next year, they won the President's Trophy and then succumbed to the President's Trophy curse and lost in, what, round two, I think? You love seeing teams be this dominant. You want to see them do well in the playoffs. But the real question is going to be, can they keep that up? And especially with a high-speed team, that wears out. They're outplaying people, but for how long can they keep that up? The thing about the Boston Bruins, and we watched it last year, in the playoffs, a lot of times, and it's a new age of the NHL, speed is getting, I mean, the game's just getting faster in general, a lot of speed guys, but what's worked in the playoffs last year, you look at the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues who play more of an old school hockey field, they, they don't let in a lot of goals. The Boston Bruins this year are tied with the Dallas Stars for the least amount of goals allowed at five on five. They've only allowed 84 five on five goals this entire season. So their defense is still clicking on all cylinders. Goals four, they're at five on five, they're still in the top nine they're ninth when you're scoring at the ninth highest rate five on five and letting in the least amount of goals especially in a playoff field where there's not a lot of space and people are really really giving every shift they're all i really think that plays in the favor of the bruins and i think they're they're primed to make another deep run in the playoffs i saw a stat last night they've only actually only allowed three goals since the all-star break and a lot of that has to go to their goalie to Rask. he leads the league in uh, goals against average at 2.15 it'll be exciting to see how that works in the playoffs like he's been great every playoff run they've had so you look at the teams that win the Stanley Cup, it's all about having, not all of it, excuse me, <laughs> but a huge part is having a goaltender that's not only good, but hot. And you look at what Jordan Bennington did last year and what Holpe did um, for the Capitals and how Flurry was there with the pain wins and how he even carried them to the play the Golden Knights in their inaugural season. It's so important to have a good goalie like that. And that's why Tuka Rask and the Bruins really look good, especially with their top line scoring, especially on the power play with Marchand and Pasternak. They're still unbelievable, but they're going to have a huge test if both these two teams win in their first round of the playoffs against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning won the President's Cup last year, and they started out insanely slow, but man, have they heated up. They're 7-2-1 and in their last 10 games on a four-game winning streak. They're looking like the team that everyone thought was going to be the best team in the NHL this year. I think actually starting off poorly works in their favor because one of the big things that people pointed to last year when they did not make it out of the first round is that, yes, they were amazing last year. It was crazy how good they were, but they did not face a lot of adversity because of this. And the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Stanley Cup is considered the hardest trophy to win in sports because it's it's tough. It's hard. There's so many games. It's a long season and there's a lot more luck in it than people want to admit. And so you need to be able to overcome that adversity. I mean, you basically, I don't want to say they coasted through the season, but in some ways they did coast through the season. Very few teams won more than one or two of their games against them, if any at all. Now that they've actually faced this adversity and now they're overcoming it now, this I think works in their favor because now they know that they've been amazing. They've gone through their troubles and now they've relearned how to be good again in a way. And I think that's really what you need to be able to make it through the first round or two in the in the playoffs. And so this could really work in their favor now that they're back where they should have been and they know how to get there. And I, I think that's so important when you say that last year they were coasting. They were at the top of the league by a large margin. They had one of the best records in recent NHL history. And they come into the playoffs just coasting. Yes, they have a ton of talent. But if you look, every one seed in the playoffs last year got beat in the first round. So these are the best four teams in the league points wise. And they all got beat because these teams get hot going into the playoffs. And that really is all that matters. Yeah, I think Tampa Bay, if they, they're going to get in the playoffs most likely. But if they see Boston, Boston's got a big test. I think Tampa Bay's a very dangerous team. They got Steven Samkos and Nikita Kucherov leading the charge there. And you don't want those guys are very experienced veterans and score a lot of points. You don't want to see them. Boston has got a tough test in the first round if they I mean, see them. I mean, you're looking at a team that could have four 30 goal scores. And uh, with, with Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, and Alex Killorn, there's just so much talent up and down that lineup. And it really is going to be a fun matchup if they, they end up in the playoffs. But then again, another team could get hot and, and, and knock them off early. And you look at those teams right now, it's looking for like Florida Panthers have been really good. The Islanders, really stingy on defense. And the Flyers have been really hot of late. They're 7-2-1 in their last 10. And Carolina has been good all year, just a couple points out of the playoffs. Toronto's flirting with it, too. Those are the teams that are are kind of competing for that last two wildcard spots. Talking about the Florida Panthers, they have a huge West Coast road trip coming up, and it's always hard to go from Florida or the East Coast to the West Coast for a five or six game road trip. At this time of year, the dog days of the NHL getting into the postseason race, a five game road trip is a huge standing point to see how you're doing in the season and if you have a real shot at 
contending for Stanley Cup or it even make, the it playoffs. can make or break your season right there. Yep. Yeah, I think with Florida especially, I'm going to keep kind of ragging on Bobrovsky here, but Bobrovsky did not start the season off well, and he's doesn't have a very good record right now and so it's really going to be and as we've seen before is he's refused help in the past so it's really going to see how consistently can he hold it i think with the leafs i'm not even sure they're really going to make the plans this year they have amazing offensive capabilities amazing amazing and freddie anderson is very good but freddie anderson has been having a rough season he just got hurt they have horrendous backup and they just traded for a new backup goalie but the issue is, is this back who's playing behind the Kings and Campbell a, is a pretty good goalie, but the Kings are atrocious this year. So I don't know how he's going to be able to handle being in the Lynch division now. And also, as much as I like some of the defensemen on the Leafs, they're much more offensively minded and there's not a lot of defense there to speak of at all. And the offensive players or the forwards, only some of them can are fairly defensive, but you can't have the team's defense be carried by the forwards. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's it's disappointing because you always I always personally like to see Toronto be good. I'm not a huge fan of really anyone outside of the Colorado Avalanche, but I do like <laughs> watching Toronto being good just because they're that's such a hockey hub, and that city lives through that team. It's just hockey culture. You want to see the games succeed. Toronto being good is is part of that. When you're looking at these teams that are kind of vying for these last playoff spots. Which one of these teams, which one of these wildcard teams, or even including the Panthers, you know, Panthers, Islanders, we'll even throw the the Blue Jackets in there, the Flyers and Carolina and Toronto. Which one of these teams do you guys see kind of taking off, securing a playoff spot, and even has a shot at making a deep run into the playoffs? I think that the Flyers has a very good chance. Carter Hart is, he's still very young, but he's getting older. He's been hot. He's staying pretty hot. Flyers have had a lot of issues with injuries, but they're starting to see all those people come back. Nolan Patrick might not play again, but he's starting to practice with his teammates, which is a huge thing for team morale. And they have veteran players who know what it takes to get through playoffs. I think they have all the pieces. They just haven't managed to get there yet. And so I think that there's a very good chance they could at least make a deep run. I think Carolina also can make a pretty deep run as well. We've seen we've seen how far they went last year and they've been they've been consistent since then, which I think is very key. Like they haven't been like Crazy, crazy good, which to the point where, like, you know, they might burn out, again, presence curse. But they've been consistent, and I think that if they can manage to heat up properly, then they can make a really good run for it. Yeah, I know for me personally, uh, I'd love to see the Flyers make the playoffs and make a little run. Uh, Oscar Lindblom, who was diagnosed with leukemia earlier in the year, uh, I'd love to see put Oscar Lindblom on their backs and make a run at the playoffs. And then I'd love to see Austin Matthews back in the playoffs with the Maple Leafs, but I don't know how consistent they can be or if they can get hot because I don't know how much help the other players around them can give them so that's those are two teams I'd love to see in the playoffs in Toronto they'd have to get really hot just because all these teams are so good and and so solid Eastern Conference is so deep this year as they usually are they have more teams than in the Western Conference they used to have two more teams which is kind of crazy and unfair to think about but yeah it's, it's going to be tough just because I don't see any of these teams really dropping out so it'd take Toronto really having a stellar end of the season to make the playoffs the team that I see really getting into the playoffs and making a run at it is the Carolina Hurricanes. They did it last year, and they're in my opinion, they're going to do it again this year. You look at some advanced statistics and their Corsi 4 percentage. Uh, Corsi 4 is the amount of shots you take on goal compared to the amounts of shots that uh, the opponent takes on your goal and doesn't actually have to be on goal. It includes blocked shots and shots that miss the net and what percentage of those shots are going towards your team. They lead the entire league with a 54.54 percentage in that, which means that they're not playing to the level that they could be playing to. And like you said, there's a lot of luck in hockey, especially over the course of a season, that once these things start going their way, they're getting pucks that are bouncing their way. It takes a weird bounce off the crease in the ice. And, you know, that's that's hockey. And I really see them kind of pulling through, getting into the playoffs. And I think they're a much better team than their record shows. And their record's not bad at all. They're one spot out of the playoffs. And I mean, they're right there, just two points out. But I really think that they're the team that could really start to make a run. The team that I think will make a really early exit in the playoffs is the New York Islanders. I don't like how the Islanders necessarily play their style of hockey. I think it's so dependent on their goaltenders, and they've played really well. They had a two-man team going great. They switch off every night, and they've played really well. They play really good defense, but they cannot score. They (laughs) really struggle with scoring, even against bad defensive teams. They just don't score the puck, and I think they're going to run into teams that are really just going to mow over them. The shot totals are going to be so lopsided in those games that unless the goalies stand on their heads, I, I don't really see the Islanders going too far 
when you look at these teams, what team do you guys see coming out of the Eastern Conference? Um, if I had to, if I had to take a guess right now, I'd probably say Boston. They've been hot all year. They're on track to win the President's Trophy, but obviously there's a President's Trophy curse. So I would say either Boston or Washington. Obviously, that's kind of what everyone's picking right now. But if Alex Ovechkin can stay hot for the rest of the season, uh, it's hard to bet against the Capitals, especially with Ovechkin and their goaltending. But I, I think I'm going to take the Bruins right now just because of how well they've played recently. I think I'm actually going to take the Lightning. I think that they are extremely skilled. And again, I think that now that they've kind of got over that adversity hump and they're no longer coasting, I think that they're, they finally are going to be able to have what it takes to take that talent to the next level. They've so consistently just made it to the conference finals. It's ridiculous how many times they made it to the conference finals recently that I do think that this could be the year that they actually make a legit run to the actual final. I don't know. Like, I feel like every other team is going to either overwork themselves or there's going to be riddled by injuries. I think the Lightning have a really good chance this year. I am going to agree with you. I was going to pick the Lightning as well. I'm going to still pick the Lightning. Reasoning the the same as you, that I think they're going to get hot at the right time, and they're so talented that I think they are the most talented team in the league. And I look at it as this sign of sense. Remember when Virginia lost to UMBC 16 versus 1 in the college basketball tournament? Of course, it's different, different sports, but they were the number one overall seed in college basketball last year. Tampa Bay, the number one overall seed in all of the NHL, and they got swept in four games. And when Virginia came back the next year and they won the entire thing, I think that the Lightning have plenty to play for. The talent's all there. The skill's there. Everything's setting the table. They're heating up now at the right time. I really think Tampa Bay comes out of the Eastern Conference. I do. I do. The Capitals did that the year before, too, where they won the President's Trophy two years in a row, lost to Pittsburgh in the second round two years in a row, and then came back not winning the President's Trophy and then made it all the way and won in 18. So... It's definitely a trend, I think. Mm-hmm. If those four teams all win their first round matchups, uh, Capitals, the Penguins, the Bruins, and the Lightning, the Eastern Conference semifinals, I mean, it could really go any way. It's, it's going to be really exciting. The Eastern Conference, the top of it is very, very stacked. Moving on to the Western Conference, right in the Pacific Division, this is where it gets interesting because there's five teams in the Pacific Division that are separated by just six points. And I mean, it could really go anyway. Those teams, the Canucks, the Oilers, the Golden Knights, the Coyotes and the Flames. That's the order that they actually go in right now based on records. And really, any of those teams could win the division. Pacific Division is definitely the weaker of the two divisions in the Western Conference. you got a lot of young teams with the Canucks and Oilers, but you've also got some experienced teams in the Golden Knights, um, obviously with the new coach trying to figure that out. So I think it's very interesting coming down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I think that like several of them have a very good chance. I think that looking at the, everyone being on top of each other isn't always a good way to look at it because the Central Division was like that last year. And Central Divisions, it can be what makes divisions very hard to get through is when everyone's in the same place. They all have the same hunger for those spots. They're all fighting for the same spots. I think, and especially with the with the Battle of, of Alberta getting mm-hmm. really hot right now, this makes really this division, fun. yeah, it's great. It makes this division really hard to get through, too, because they have a hunger there that other places just don't. Yeah, the Battle of Alberta, <laughs> you mentioned that, has been incredibly fun to watch. You're looking at a rivalry that's really heating up, kind of reminiscent of, I mean, hopefully when the, the Avs played the Red Wings back in the late 1990s and early 2000s, those, I mean, those fights, you see all those goalie fights. Well, we got one the other night. <laughs> yes. They squared off in Middle East. You don't see that very often. And that was that was cool to watch. And just the the blood boil is, is, is great. And there's a competitiveness because that division is just so close. And like I said, I can see any of these teams making the playoffs and I can see any of these teams dropping out because Chicago and Nashville are knocking on the door. The thing is about this is one of these teams is probably going to end up in the Western Conference Finals, three out of four at least that are going to be on that side of the bracket. One of these teams is going to have a chance to win a series and go to the Stanley Cup. It's going to be interesting. I don't see these teams as dominant as as the Avs, Blues, or the Stars, but I really like Vancouver. Quinn Hughes has <laughs> been exemplary. He's been unbelievable this year. And I, I see them kind of eventually pulling away with this division. But, I mean, you look up and down. Vegas has been so good for the last few years. And, I mean, they were handed through the draft, the expansion draft, such a good team. And such a, obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury hasn't been as sharp this year, but still Marc-Andre Fleury. Edmonton, they rely a lot on their goaltenders. They don't play any defense. But Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid can really score the puck. The Arizona Coyotes, they're not at the bottom of the conference anymore. And they've been really, really good. And I think... They're actually the most talented and overall best team in that division. You're talking about the Oilers. You have Dreisaitl and McDavid, both the two top point getters in the NHL. 
Dreisaitl with 29 goals and 54 assists, and then McDavid with 29 goals and 50 assists. And McDavid, obviously, widely known in the past few years being the fastest skater in the NHL. Um, we lost, lost to Matt Barzil, though. Yes, in the All-Star, All-Star weekend. But they're a very exciting team. Not, obviously, they don't play a lot of defense, but I think you definitely need a lot of defense if you're going to make it around the playoffs. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they unfold here in the last couple weeks of the regular season. And that's the style that the Oilers have always played. Lots of open ice. Both teams, it's always been like that. They've always been high scoring on both sides of the puck. Yeah. I think it is of note, though, that like they have like the top power play, but they also have one of the top penalty kills. Mm-hmm. So they may not be defensive heavy, but they do know how to shut down a penalty. And special and teams is so important. Yeah, special teams is incredibly, incredibly important. It's really hard to get far without them. I think a team that isn't strong on defense, but is strong on the specialty teams, that can be pretty dangerous still. And the Canucks, they're pretty good all around too, but they have one of the best goaltenders right now in Markstrom. Just save percentage wise, he's, I think, fifth of like fifth overall, or at least fifth with like 25 games or more. And they have a good young core with Quinn Hughes, but also with Brock Besser and with Elias Pettersson. I think that even if the Canucks don't get too far this year, they're going to be dangerous for several years to come. The, the, the young talent's there, and it's, it's definitely an exciting time to be a Canucks fan. Yeah, I yeah. think you're looking at uh, Calgary and Arizona. They've definitely had a downfall the past few weeks. Calgary losing five of their last six, and Arizona losing five of their last six. And then you've got Na- Nashville and Chicago obviously getting a little hot here. So look for Matthew Kachuk, the St. Louis native for the Flames, actually to take over. Hopefully he can provide a little spark there so they can get back on track. They're the only team that's in a playoff spot in, in either conference that has a negative differential, and it's not even that close. It's pretty substantial in the negatives. They're they're minus nineteen so far, and yeah, you've been losing games by a lot. But when you win, you win them by shallow. It doesn't matter. It's points on the board. They haven't been unbelievable of late, but they did heat up in January and and late December because they started off unbelievably slow after having posting the best record in the Western Conference last year during the regular season, and then getting knocked off in five games by the Avs and I mean all the talents there that's the Pacific Division <laughs> I mean you're looking to these teams it's funny to talk about because you're looking at Vancouver they have 65 points and Chicago is only seven points behind them that's not a huge margin between the number one team in a division and being out of the playoff scooting over to Central <laughs> Division the leader has it has been all year the defending cup champion St. Louis Blues they're sitting at 72 points which leads the entire Western Conference but they've been struggling a little bit of late yeah, they've lost five of the last seven, but still lead the division by seven points. So you can see how well they've been playing, even though they're stumbling in the past few weeks. One of their biggest keys is obviously their goalie, Jordan Biddington. Had a great Stanley Cup run last year, but it'll be interesting to see what the Blues do and the if they make a move at the deadline or um, if they ride out with the team that they have now, because obviously I think they're talented enough to make it back to where they were last year. Yeah, I think the big key is the injuries. I personally don't think that they need to really get anyone alone. I know that a lot of Blues fans and reporters have been looking at Chris Kreider as someone, but I think it really is that just how the injuries play out. Because I know that we're supposed to be getting Terry Senko back either before, right before playoffs or if we go into playoffs. I know he's supposed to be coming he back. He will be for the playoffs. Is that I know he's for sure for yeah. the playoffs. I just don't remember if he's coming back if he's coming back in March or if he's coming back in April. I think it's March. I think they're... Uh... There was, they were looking at something. I can't remember what it was. There was a cap hit something. If they if they kept him out until the playoffs, they would have uh, there was cap space that'd be available or whatever. I can't remember the exact details yeah. about it, but they might hold him out for that reason yeah. until the playoffs. That would also yeah, that would make sense. Also though, I think what should be noted is that Jake Allen has been a very very good backup, and I think that's very very key. Is that we've continued to not allow a lot of shots, which is one of the things that makes us such a good team. Jordan Bennington is very talented, but I do think that that is a huge contributor to how well Jordan Bennington did last year as a rookie goalie in the NHL. We can make stupid mistakes, but we do try and keep the shots down so we don't allow as many chances. And we've continued to do that despite the fact that I think some, that we have had more goals scored on us than we did the year before, or once we got good, ignoring before that. But once we picked up, the goaltenders stuttered a little bit but not enough to really be of note because we've obviously still continued to be dominant I, so i do just think as long as our two goalies stay good and as long as we don't get too many more injuries we should be good i don't firstly i don't really think we're gonna go all the way to the cup again but i think that we're going to continue to be a dominant team that might ha- have another cup win in the next two years and i think they're the favorite 
They are, but I just, I, but back to backs happen so rarely. I just don't, for me, it just, they happen so incredibly rarely that I just, I don't expect it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You talk about uh, the Stanley Cup hangover, playoff Mm -hmm. hangover. They're going to, they're going to wear out. They're going to get worn out. And they've had, they had a deep run last year and they started off, they've won a lot of games this year. They haven't had any kind of hangover yet this year. Yeah. So looking at the second place team, the Dallas Stars were projected to be really good. Started off incredibly slow at the bottom of the Western Conference. And ever since then, they've been really, really good. Started a little bit in their last 10. They're 5-4-1, so 500. Haven't been terrible. But what they do is that they don't, no one shoots on them. There's not a lot of space to shoot. They don't allow a lot of space to shoot. And they don't let teams get a lot of shots. And Ben Bishop makes almost every save. Sets up well. They're sitting at 65 yeah. points, currently in second place in the Central Division. Also, Anton Kudobin, Doby, is also incredibly good. They have probably arguably the best tandem goalie in the league. Maybe, I know that at the beginning of the year, they were also talking about the Coyotes, but now Darcy Kemper is injured, so it's a little different. But their goalie tandem is just absolutely insane. I think the big issue for them is really going to be how are they handling the coach change. They've had so many coaches in the past couple of years. They've been powering through this year, but I know that there's been a lot of fans that have not been happy with it. And while they have so much scoring power, they have not always been utilizing it, which may be a concern as it gets closer to the actual playoffs and once we get into the actual playoffs. They've scored the third least amount of goals Mm -hmm. in the entire league this year. And again, they've let up the tied for the least amount of goals as well. Yep. But when you're not scoring at that rate, it's the same thing for me that I talked about the Islanders. Yeah, like they're not going to let up a lot of goals and it's hard to score on them. There's not a lot of room. It's going to be tough for them to win a seven-game series against St. Louis or Colorado, especially if you're not well-balanced but and you're not scoring a lot. Yeah, I think the Stars have in their favor that they do have that scoring ability, but something, I don't know if it's just not clicking or if it's just a coaching style change because they obviously have Jamie Benn, who's won the Art Ross before. They have Tyler Sagan, who is con- consistently an amazing goal scorer so it's really just they just need to get onto it and they need need to be able to pull forward if they do end up falling behind in a game if they have a bad game defensively or if one of the goalies has a bad game which happens sometimes it's just are they going to be able to have the ability to pull through i think they do but we need to see them actualize this i agree now moving on to to the team i love to talk about it my team the colorado (laughs) avalanche Uh, Just looking at where they are in the standings right now, they have 64 points, eight points behind the St. Louis Blues, but they do have three games in hand on them. And they've talked about it. Their players are, our goal is not just to make the playoffs. We want to win the division. They would have to get hot because they would need it. Let's say they win their next three games. They're they're six points. Now they're only two points back and they're even. So it, it could definitely happen. They have a plus 38 goal differential. That is the highest in the Western Conference, third highest in the league. They've led up just on five on five, the fourth least amount of goals in the entire NHL. So their defense is really good. And then obviously their offense, which is highly touted, is the highest scoring offense in the league. And they've tied for the least amount of games played in the entire league with 51. But they still lead the league in five on five goals at 131. Their issue has been their power play. That you look at the stars they have on it with Nazem Kadri, Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, and and Kale McCarr. You would say, hey, like this should be one of the best power plays in the league and that it just hasn't been there at really at all for them it, it was it was okay at the start of the year they went three for five when they beat the blues on january 2nd on the power play other than that in 2020 they're two of 25 on the power play that's just not acceptable they they went one for three the other night against philadelphia but they also let up a shorthanded goal that consistency is really what's kind of brought this team down and and why it's not the top team. When you're looking at the highest scoring team five on five in the league and the fourth lowest, you'd be like, okay, they should be absolutely dominating. And they've had a really, really solid year, really, really good year. But it hasn't been to that level because they haven't they haven't scored on the power play. And you, you mentioned how important special teams are. If you have Nathan McKinnon on your team, you're going to score a lot of goals. He's uh, <laughs> one of the leading contenders for MVP with 30 goals, 43 assists, probably trailing Ovechkin by a little bit at this point. <laughs> and then you have Cole McCarr, who's leading player for rookie of the year. So if you have these guys, hopefully... They can get the power play back on track because if you get in the playoffs and you're hot, this is a scary team to contend with. I think that in some ways, it honestly might benefit them to switch the power play up. I think that we've seen recently that having that four crazy top forwards and then one very good defenseman, it always sounds good on paper, but a lot of times it doesn't it mm-hmm. doesn't pan out. It'll work for a couple weeks. Look at last year when the Leafs got John Tavares and they had a power play for a little bit where Morgan Riley was the defenseman. They John Tavares, awesome Austin Matthews, Matthews, Mitch Marner. God forbid, I can't remember the fourth person was. Um, I want to say it was William Nylander, but I, he might have. I think he might have been out at that point. 
Either way, they had like they had a crazy stacked power plate. It was good for about two weeks and it was crazy how good it was. And then it just stagnated for a good portion of the year. And it's like that always sounds great, but you do need to switch it up. You do need players who maybe you don't see them as the stars, but they're good at playing a two-way game so that they don't give up shorthanded goals. They're good at making opportunities and not just relying on that star power. Because I think a lot of good teams stumble when they actually get the advantage because they're so used to playing at a high consistency that it's that adversity thing again that sometimes they have trouble with the easy stuff. It's even weird that they're not great three on three when you look, oh, you got Kale McCarr, Miko Rantan, and Nathan McKinnon out there. That's like, who's going to beat them three on three? But they don't they don't score. It's been really interesting. I mean, they've been really good on five on five. Exactly. What we talked about. But I'm not one of these fans <laughs> that go out there when they're the ads are on the power play and I'm yelling, shoot, when they haven't. <laughs> when they haven't shot the puck in 20 seconds because it is so important to get a good shot. But sometimes I feel like they're just looking for that perfect shot and they want it to come from McKinnon and they feed him too much. And I mean, they should just spread the puck. And sometimes when you have a lane to shoot, they should throw it on net because that's what Gabe Landeskog does. He led the entire league last year in tipping goals. If you have them, I mean, just give them four opportunities on a power play, throw it on net and let them tip it down. I mean, that's a shot on net. And, you know, as a goalie, that's impossible to stop when a puck's coming at you at 90 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden, three feet in front of you, it completely changes direction. At some point, you just got to start getting pucks on net during the power play. Those three teams, in my opinion, are the three best teams in the West. I see one of them coming out of the Western Conference. Of course, they're all most likely going to be on the same four piece of the bracket. So <laughs> they'll probably have to match up against each other in the Western Conference semifinals, which is unfortunate. It's going to be a really good matchup looking at the other teams that are still in contention in the Central. Winnipeg's been a big time disappointment this year. It started off well and kind of drifted away. Nashville, like you said, has probably been the most disappointing team in the entire league just because they had these high expectations. They got Matt Duchesne and they're, they're coming off a year where they were really, really good, and they were in the Stanley Cups a couple of years ago, and and it's just it's just dwindled off for them. They have not had the year they wanted. Nashville, if they they're only three points behind the second wild card spot, so as bad as they've played, they're not completely out of it, and they're a dangerous, dangerous team if they get in the playoffs. And then you've got the Jets, who are definitely disappointing, but they're also. I mean, I think it's just great for the NHL to have these many teams in contention, where you have the Canucks, the Oilers, the Coyotes, who are awful. Last year, or not awful, but not good, not great. And then you have the Blackhawks. Um, they weren't great last year, but they're in the contention this year. So I think it's great for the NHL to have this parity where you don't, you never know who's going to win on mm-hmm. any given night. It makes the game's more important at the end of the year. It's yep. good. The Blackhawks are my favorite team, and they've been hot recently. Lost last night in overtime to the best team in the league. I don't think they have enough to to get into the playoffs. I don't think they have enough to win a series, especially they don't have a great defense. The one thing that's carried them is their goaltending, but your goaltending can only take you so far. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Blackhawks try to move a goaltender at the trade deadline, especially because they're both unrestricted free agents at the end of the year. I would be concerned about them even making the playoffs. I think they have a chance, but they, as you said, they mostly coast on their goaltending. And then Patrick Kane carries that team in point scoring. Some of the younger players that are coming up, like Dylan Strom and Alex Debrinkit, are starting are doing well, but Dylan Strom just came back from a concussion, and so he's not heating back up yet. And I think that some of the other team needs to step up with scoring as well, just because they can't just coast on Kane and Kane's line. I don't know. I, I'm honestly very much thinking that we're going to see two Pacific teams in the wild card spot personally. I think that they're so close together. They're hungry for it. A lot of the Pacific has not been great lately, like in the past couple of years. And now that they're all starting to heat up at the same time. I think that it's very likely that we're not going to see any wild card central spots. So here's why I'm going to argue against that. Is one is the Pacific teams. Obviously, you play a lot of interdivision games. They're going to beat each other up. Yep. And you look at the teams. I think either Nashville or the Blackhawks. I don't know which one. I think one of them will make the playoffs in a wild card spot. Nashville has one of the toughest schedules to end the year out of anyone outside of a game against the Senators. I think they play the Kings. And then if you want to throw the Wild in there, uh, I think they play them twice. But other than that, they're playing all playoff teams. And a lot of them, they have not played their Pacific games yet. So they have these games against these Pacific teams. It's just going to come down to if they win them or not. If they win these games against these Pacific teams, they're going to make the playoffs. It's as simple as that because those are all four-point games. They're four-point swing. The Blackhawks, for them, if they get sneaked into the playoffs, that'd be unbelievable. But this season has been such a success for the Blackhawks. When you look at a team that, obviously, they're the team of the 2010s. They won three Stanley Cups. They were unbelievable. 
Now they're at the tail end. These guys are leaving. They had a lot of money wrapped up in their, their older superstars. Now you're looking at trying to rebuild a team, right? They lucked out big time last year in the lottery. Got the third pick. Got Kirby Doc, which is weird. He was born in 2001. Isn't that weird to think about? He's playing in the NHL. It's older than me. It's exactly. younger than me. Yeah, he's 19 years old. He hasn't been as good as they would like this year, but he's a third pick overall in the draft. And guys take time to develop sometimes, especially in this league. And it's almost like a rebuilding year, but they're right in the heat of the playoff mix. And that's been really special for them. So I think this season, regardless of how it turns out, is a success for the Chicago Blackhawks. It's good to see the development going on. I mean, I know Coach Colleton definitely got a bad reputation off early when he got hired and uh, when Joel Quenville got fired because obviously Joel Quenville is so revered in that town that whoever came in after him was going to get a lot of criticism anyways. But I think they've done a lot of good things, but the next step is uh, making the playoffs. And I think they get on a little run here. They can do that. Now looking at the Western Conference finals, we've all had our pitch to the Eastern Conference. Who do you guys see coming out of the Western Conference? You start, Sam. Are you you're looking a little mm-hmm. indecisive? I don't, I don't you gotta, know. You gotta, you gotta There's so many uh, yeah, actually, I'm going to take a rematch of last year, last year's Stanley Cup final, actually, and I'm going to take the Bruins this time in seven games over the Blues. I think both teams are just so experienced and so fast and so good that it's hard to see any other teams knocking them off. Obviously, it's a cliche pick, but I'd love to see it again. It was a great series last year. I'm going to go out on a limb. I think that if the Stars can start scoring more, I think they could go to the final because they've been very good defensively. They've been amazing goaltending and they're hungry for it. They are so incredibly hungry for it. And we saw that last year, the Blues and Stars series. And that was you, went into overtime in game seven. Yeah, I was there. It was a very intense game. Again, if they can like get to scoring again or at least make sure that they're scoring in those key games when they do fall behind, I think they can make a genuine this could be their year. Exactly. If they can. If they could just start scoring a little bit. Again, they have they still, all the players they, exactly, to do it. Yeah, you look at Radulov and, and Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben. Yeah, the young players are starting to come up now with Root Pins, among others, like Haskinen and Pavelski, they all, a lot of experience yes. there. There just haven't been a guy that really you look at Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben to kind of start pulling away, but they don't even have a forty point score yet. And that's kind of really remarkable that they're in a spot where they are and so they're and if due they to could heat start, up exactly if they can heat up the stars could be the pick for me <laughs> it's hard to bet against my ass i i hate that i want them to win it all i think they can win it all but for me i don't know what team it's going to be i think whoever gets the one seed in the central division is going to come out of the western conference just because they're not going to have to play each other. Whoever the two and three seed in the Central Division, one of them's going to get knocked out immediately. I really have trouble betting against the Blues. I really do. Like I said, I love the Avs, but the Blues are, are really, really good at home. They've absolutely dominated their games against the Avs, and the Avs have won both their games at home against the Blues as well. It's 2-2 season series. But just the way the Blues have looked during those games, I really see them coming out, and I really hope no one from Colorado hears this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm going to take the Blues coming out of the Western Conference. And then, uh, you know, not trying not to make an emotional pitch. Just yeah. Well, you talk about the Stanley Cup hangover. I think I kind of think they're doing the same the opposite. I think they're riding the high of last year still. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's going to be hard to beat them. Yeah. And I, I like the style of playoff hockey they play. I think that it's going to be tough getting through the stars of the Avalanche. That's going to be a heck of a series when it comes down to that. I'd say even if Nashville heats up a little bit, gets into that wild card two spot, has to play the Blues, that could be a pretty good series. Especially when you look at teams like last year, every one seed lost in the playoffs. We're talking about when we're picking all these one seeds to make it to the Stanley Cup. And I mean, last year, none of them even made it to the second round. So anything can happen. Just looking at now your Stanley Cup predictions, I believe you have the Stars and the Lightning. (laughs) You obviously talked about Game 7. You have the... The Bruins beating the Blues this year. I have the Lightning and the Blues, and I think the Lightning take it this year. I really like the Lightning. The five or six. I, no, I think it'll go six games. They won't win in five. I think it'll go six games. Tampa Bay Lightning, book it. What about you, Sam? Oh, I hate predicting games. I think if it would be the Stars and Lightning, it'd probably be a long series. The Stars are the. There's more talent than Lightning, but the Stars are fighters. They're fighters first and foremost. They tend to go pretty much all of their series tend to be long, so they're gonna. It's gonna be six or seven games. It's gonna be a good playoffs, good end of the season, great for hockey. Last year we saw in the Eastern Conference with like six or seven games left, everyone had already clinched, and it was kind of like oh they're riding it out. But I really see both conferences battling out until game eighty two this year. 
which should be really exciting. It's almost like an extra playoff game. We watched the Avs and the Blues do it a couple years ago where the winner would oh, go God. to the playoffs. That I love stressful. talking about that. I loved talking about that. I think the Flyers did the same thing where they, there was that same year they creeped in and with a hat trick from Drew and he like hit 103 points or something mm-hmm. ridiculous that year too. And that's, that's the excitement. And I think that's going to come right down to the wire this year. There's a lot of good teams, a lot of talent spread out across the league. We'll see how it turns out if anyone can heat up any surprise team makes their run because about this time last year the blues were i mean far from playoff spot so i think it's just going to be great overall for the sport and obviously gaining a lot more traction down here in st louis but everywhere across the country and canada and across the world so i'm really excited it's thursday the 6th february 6th and i am still feeling in my stomach from the wings i ate last last sunday i ate a ridiculous amount of wings uh of course I splurge a little bit, try to eat healthy, but splurge a little bit on the Super Bowl. You can't help yourself. I mean, the Super Bowl is such a big event, and the Kansas City Chiefs won for the first time in 50 years. I thought it was a great game, one of the best Super Bowls I've seen in a while. I mean, last year was really boring, low scoring, but this one, one of the great comebacks in Super Bowl history with Mahomes capping off another great season. They were down 24 to nothing against the Texans and 17 to 7 against the Titans and then 20 to 10 to the 49ers. So I think the ending of that was just a culmination of everything that happened this year for the Chiefs. You're looking at a game with nine minutes left and you're down by 10 points on this 49ers side. They're up by 10 points. How did that game go so quickly the other way? With nine minutes left, they're up 20 to 10 and they end up losing 31 to 20. That's 21 points in nine minutes against the the lead's best defense. How did that happen? Well, I think once again, it comes down to Kyle Shanahan's play calling and time management. I think they got away from their game plan and what got into that point all season with the running game and Raheem Mostert. And they started relying on Jimmy Garoppolo, who is a very serviceable quarterback. He has a great record, but records aren't always the telling for a quarterback. So just getting away from their game plan will allow the Chiefs to get back in it. And then once Patrick Mahomes gets rolling, it's just impossible to stop him. It's so interesting because when I talked about this in the last podcast, because obviously the Chiefs had made two big comebacks already, the 49ers get ahead and then you have to score on their incredibly good defense. And then they have the best run game in the NFL, in the entire NFL. And you look at it and you go, okay, if the 49ers get ahead, especially late, I think they're going to hold them off. And I was like, I'm watching this game. It's 2010, nine minutes left. And they're just going to run the ball. And they, they hadn't been stopped all night. They were just handing the ball. They're very creative with their, their blocking schemes. And I mean, they were averaging like seven or eight yards a carry at the start of the game. And I was like, okay, they're just going to run out the clock. But every time they got the ball is after that Chiefs touchdown, you knew, you knew they were going to go and they, they went three and out. And then the Chiefs went right back down and scored another touchdown. And then you have another chance. You're going down the field and it's third and 10, I think. And you got to go for it. It's you're in four down territory, and Jimmy Garoppolo takes a shot down the field, and he had Emmanuel Sanders for a touchdown. Yeah, that could have been the icing on the cake right yeah. there. And he overthrew him by th- like three or four yards. You can say all you want about Shanahan's clock management and how it all worked out, but that's a throw that is missed during the course of a year. But in a Super Bowl, you talked about clutchness. We always do. But there's a certain gene of you step up and you make that throw, and you can say all you want about. Guys like Eli Manning, but in the Super Bowl, in the biggest game, when they needed to make that throw, they made those throws. You're looking at the Mario Manningham catch or the David Tyree or even the throw to win it in the 2007 one to the back left corner of the end zone. These throws are getting made. They're not easy throws. And that was not an easy throw that Garoppolo made. But I think that he's got to get some more air under it and let Sanders go get that ball. That's a throw that has to be made in that moment. Big time players are supposed to make big time plays if that's what you want out of your quarterback and you want to win a Super Bowl, I think players like that need to happen. I think that was a big part of the game. Definitely, you have a great point there, but they were also in third and 15 or third and 10 when they had that throw. You're not in that situation where you have to make that throw if Mm -hmm. you're running the ball, and it's third and three instead of third and 10 where it's a Mm -hmm. definite passing down. And you're talking about the 49ers defense who had one of the greatest years on paper, and then you have to deal with Patrick Mahomes. People are calling him a lock for the Hall of Fame in his third year, second as a full-time starter. How many times have you heard an NFL player or even a professional sports player be called a lock for a Hall for the his, Hall of Fame? His resume is insane. Exactly. So I think dealing with Patrick Mahomes compared to even Aaron Rodgers now at the twilight of his career, such a different animal than anything they saw all year. And they shut Mahomes down. There was times where the Niners made him look silly. Yeah, he had at like, points in the game. He had uh, one of the worst games of his NFL career through three quarters. You could say yeah, so. Exactly. You could even say that. the announcers were commenting on it. They're like, "Hey, that was 
that throw needs to be ahead of him. He left it behind him, and that's why it was tipped and intercepted and stuff like that. He was just missing on throws because their pass rush is so excellent and their their DBs are great. And it pays tribute. I think the Niners will be right back in a similar situation mm-hmm. next year, even though the teams that have been losing the Super Bowls have really on into slumps in recent years. But I think the Niners are so young and so talented, and it's not just relying on one player that they'll be back. You look at teams like the Panthers and Cam Newton fell off or Matt Ryan when he was the MVP at the Falcons and they dropped off. I think it was more relying on one player, whereas the 49ers have such a good team all around. But I also think in no way, not in no way, but for a large part, they did not lose that game. I thought the Chiefs won it. They came out in the fourth quarter and they were unstoppable. People talked about the Chiefs defense being so bad all year. But really, when you look at it, when they were down 24-0 and when they were down 17-7 in the playoffs, both times their defense has stepped up in the second half and been almost impossible to score on. The, the Niners scored 10 points in the third quarter, but zero points in the fourth quarter. That's what won in the game. Yeah, well, like you said, big-time players make big-time plays. And championship teams know when to step up and when they're needed. You're seeing one of the greatest runs in the playoffs, comebacks in the playoffs that we've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They're down in these games. And against the Texans, they're down 24 nothing, And they put up 28 points, of course, in the second quarter. But they only let up seven points in the entire second half. Against the Titans, seven points in the entire second half. Against the 49ers, 10 points in the third quarter, but then they stopped them right there. That's what you need out of the defense. And no matter what you say about how they played all year, when it came down to it most, they stepped up big time. And congratulations to the city of Kansas City. It's it was it was awesome for them. And talking about Patrick Mahomes, there was a video today of him showing up to a Post Malone concert last night, walking in, and I was just thinking about how cool that would be to be him. He's just, you know, <laughs> he just won a Super Bowl. He just won a Super Bowl MVP. He's 24 years old, and he walks into a Post Malone concert, goes on stage. I mean, gosh, he was dancing around, and everyone was going nuts. But for all they care, he could have been picking his nose up there, and they would have been going nuts for him. It was it was a really cool scene, and. He just won the Super Bowl MVP, but the question is, did he deserve it? I'm torn on what I think about this. I think the NFL's become such a quarterback-driven league that it's almost a given that if you win a Super Bowl, that the quarterback is going to be either one or two in line for the MVP. Obviously, you have Damian Williams, who had 104 yards rushing and two touchdowns, one receiving and one rushing. But I think Patrick Mahomes deserved it partly because he was down 20 to 10, brought them back in the fourth quarter. It's when... Mahomes, the MVP, steps up, and that's when you make plays. Obviously, I think it could have went to either one, but just because the NFL is such a quarterback-driven league, people are going to remember when Patrick Mahomes retires in 12 or 13 years, they're going to remember that Super Bowl MVP that went to Patrick Mahomes, but in 15 years, they're not going to remember that Damian Williams would have got the MVP. Exactly, and that's what's so troublesome. It is such a quarterback-driven league. It's either going to be Garoppolo or Mahomes, unless some defensive player gets two interceptions or something. I mean, the last time that it it wasn't one of those guys when I think Von Miller won it in Super Bowl 50 when he had two strip sacks and like three and a half sacks overall. He just absolutely dominated the game. Other than that, it's going to be a quarterback because if the Niners win that game, I think Garoppolo's going to win it. And you look at his numbers, he had a touchdown, two interceptions, like 230 yards. That's nothing impressive. But you look at Mahomes' numbers for what he did most of the year, the Niners really held him in check for the most part. Two touchdowns, two interceptions, 286 yards. He was 26 of 42, so about 61% throwing. It's, I mean, that's not MVP kind of numbers to me. And when you look at a guy like Damian Williams, two touchdowns overall from the running back position, I think is more important than Mahomes. So I mean, did have his third touchdown running it in. I think Damian Williams kind of deserved this one. But of course, I mean, it goes either way. A funny thing about Patrick Mahomes' case is that he lost 20 yards in some of the last few plays, just running out the clock, rush yards. And his rush yards over under for all those betters out there was something like 31 and a half yards. And he was at like 45, like he was solidly mm-hmm. over it. And then they were taking knees, but instead of just taking a couple steps back and taking the knee, he was kind of running backwards, mm-hmm. and they ended up losing. It went under. It was, it was a bad beat, as they say in the betting world. It's kind of funny. But whether Mahomes or Damian Williams won the MVP doesn't really matter that mm-hmm. much. All you can ask for in a Super Bowl is that it comes down to the wire, yep. and that game did. You saw the Niners have a chance to win it. I mean, you talk about great Super Bowl games, they're coming down to the wire. They have shot at the end zone at the end of the game, and obviously this one... Did not have that, but it also came down on the wire. With a lot, and within the last five minutes, you had no idea who was going to win the game. Mm-hmm. It could have gone either way, and that's all you can ask for. If we got the same Super Bowl next year, I don't think you'd see many people complaining. One thing that I realized about that game is the, the flow of the Super Bowl game was much better 
I know there was less commercial breaks, which the NFL did on purpose just because they thought their games were getting too long. I think that helped. But I think a big thing is, is they were letting them play for the most part. There was not a lot of flag calls. The Niners only had five penalties. The Chiefs had four. Obviously, the biggest penalty was the George Kittle offensive pass interference at the mm-hmm. end of the first half, which would have put the Niners in field goal range, which would have given them even more momentum going into halftime. But I loved the flow of the game. I mean, it was over by 9 o'clock, whereas Super Bowls in the past have been over by 9.45 or 10 o'clock, and then you have all the post-game celebrations. It just feels like it's dragging yep. along, Yep. which the pace of play is so slow. I was, We always talk about if a European came over to America and they're big soccer fans and they go, Hey, America's sport is football. That's America's game, the most popular mm-hmm. sport in America. I have to go see one of these events. And they came and watched the football game. They'd be like, this is insanely slow. Yeah. Because they, it just feels like they're spending 45 uh, seconds in between every play for seven seconds of action. And mm-hmm. I mean, it just drags on, especially with all the timeouts and the switching of field. I mean, it's just unbelievable how slow the pace of the game is. And I think that the pace of play was so much better because... The refs did not call a lot of penalties. I thought it made the game better, too, because these guys weren't getting a ton of yards off of penalties called. Mm -hmm. And I hate when they throw a deep pass 40 yards down the field, and it was just not even really that close to being caught, but there was some PI or whatever, and they throw out 40 yards down the field, and the guy didn't even catch the ball. That's not fun to watch. No. And they really let the guys play, and I appreciated that. Going to your George Kittle call, what was so interesting about it is they didn't call offensive pass interference in the Vikings game against the Saints. And when you, I, I saw a replay of both of them side to side, and George Kittle gives like a tiny little shove to create a little bit of separation, and by rules, offensive pass interference. But then you looked at the Vikings game, and there was a full push off. You yep. saw him completely extend the arm, push off, get a lot more space, and there was a no call. And that's where I think the NFL still struggles to find consistency in their rules. Well, I think that's why the fans get so upset when they see these penalties because there's no consistency in the calls. And obviously, when Kyle Rudolph Pushed, the, pushed off the Saints defender and brought the Vikings into the next round. I thought that was more egregious than what George Kittle did, but mm-hmm. it's a bigger platform in the Super Bowl, and I guess you have to make the right call that's in the rule book. But there's no exact definition because yeah. it's so different every time. It's not like an offsides call where you can just review it. It's so opinionated by the referee, and the thing is is that whatever way they called on the field, I think it's so hard to overturn because of that gray area of what is pass interference what is a catch like all these different things in football that are just so marginalized and so small it can really go either way and i think whatever gets called on the field is going to stand because i think if george kittle did not get called for offensive pass interference it would not have been switched to offensive pass interference and the same goes for the kyle rudolph play if there was offensive pass interference called they're not switching that back no it's just whatever the ref calls in the field and that's why it's it's still important to have really good referees. And I think us as the fans, we enjoy the benefit of having slow motion replay right to the millisecond. And these referees are calling it in real time. And the game is <laughs> the NFL game is so fast where oh it's gosh. such a judgment call. So you're never going to be perfect, but you would also love a lot more consistency. Exactly. It still amazes me how good of a job the refs do mm-hmm. because there's so many little things they're looking for, especially on the offensive line, where it's like, is a guy down the field? Is he holding? Was there a false start? Was that a chop block? All these different things that they're looking for. And there's so, I mean, it's just chaos almost when you're watching it. You really have to understand the game and have peripheral views. And the game is moving so fast. And that's what people talk. It's like, oh, how did they miss that? And they do it now with the MLB strike zone too. It's like, oh, how did they miss that? It's like, well, he doesn't have this actual box on his TV Mm -hmm. screen showing him that that was a millimeter off the plate. It's happening in real life. And I think that the slow motion almost makes the refs get criticized even more because that happens so fast. As a ref, if you're doing a good job, you're not getting noticed. And I like to be on Twitter during the Super Bowl and other big games and see what everybody's saying. And other than that one call, there wasn't any talk about the refs. Here's the thing. If they don't call it pass interference, Chiefs fans would be all up in arms about this. How is this not pass interference? So no matter what, it's a lose-lose situation because it's in that gray area. But both these teams are really good. Both these teams are really young. And so, like you said, I would not be disappointed to see another Chiefs 49ers game next year. Yeah. But way too early. There's going to be so many moves, different moves made. Guys can go down with injuries. Super Bowl next year, who you got? Uh, well, I think I actually think the Chiefs could be on the verge of a dynasty here. I think you've got Patrick Mahomes is going to get a new contract, become the probably the highest played player in the league. And then you've got Tyreek Hill signed through 2023. And all these guys are signed for multiple years. 
and they got a great coach, one of the greats. Uh, you can't dispute him, his legacy anymore after winning the Super Bowl. So I think the Chiefs are right back there next year, and I actually think the Niners are kind of going to take a step back. They had a lot of guys like Richard Sherman played really well this year, but he's getting older. Uh, Raheem Mostert, he played really well, but hes I don't think he's going to do the same things he did this year. So I think the Niners are going to take a little step back, and I actually think the Seahawks are going to make the Super Bowl next year. They have a Hall of Fame uh, quarterback, Russell Wilson in the prime of his career. You've got a coach who is arguably a Hall of Famer who's getting towards the end of career. He's over 70 years old, so they got to go now. And they have a good defense. They rebuilt that defense. and They're no longer the Legion of Boom, but they have plenty of guys who are Pro Bowl caliber guys. And Who wins that game, Chiefs-Seahawks? Uh, it's I know it's hard to win twice, but I think I'm going to take the Chiefs. <laughs> I mean, you have the best player in the world in Patrick Mahomes, and how do you even bet against them? And he's... Only 24 years old. Yeah, it's really hard to win twice, but I think you're right on the standpoint that the Chiefs are about to become a dynasty. They really are. And I don't think it's as much of who the players around him are. I think when you have Patrick Mahomes, as dominant of a quarterback as he is, and the way he's able to play both sides of the game, he can sit in the pocket and throw, but he showed off that he can run too. He's a multi-threat guy. I think he's going to dominate the league for a long time. You look at the Baltimore Ravens, what they did this year, they completely changed the NFL. What they did was remarkable. They played a college football offense and it shocked everyone. Lamar Jackson was unbelievable. I think with a full offseason for coaches to prepare against this, in no way will Lamar Jackson have a bad year and the Ravens be bad next year. But... I don't think they're going to be 14-2 and two as dominant as they were this year. I think the Chiefs still coming out of the AFC. Chiefs versus Ravens in the AFC Championship. I see the Chiefs going back to the Super Bowl. I just don't see, I just don't see anyone better than that. I really think this is a dynasty coming back to it. On the other side, I don't think the Niners are going to take a big step back. I think they're going to end up 12-4, and 13-3 again, just because there's so much youth throughout that team and I really do like them. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a good enough quarterback to handle their situation. I think Raheem Mostert is a good enough running back, especially when you you throw in there. I mean, they still have so many guys that, that play for them. It's not necessarily who the running back is, as I've kind of thought for over a long time. It's so much more about the scheme and the offensive line. As great as Ezekiel Elliott is, he is running behind the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. I mm-hmm. think you stick an average running back behind there, and he's turned into a really, really good running back. Don't take anything away from Ezekiel Elliott. The guy's still one of the best running backs in the league. I think they're going to be right back there next year. But the team that I see coming out of the NFC is the New Orleans Saints because they have been so close. They've been so good. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best of all time, who's still playing at a pretty decent level, especially if he can stay healthy. Their defense has gotten a lot, a lot better. They still have so many offense, offensive weapons. I really think that the heartbreak that's happened over the last few years. Yeah, uh, they're destined to get over the hump exactly, at some point. Exactly. With I mean, they were about to make it in the Rams, that no call on the pass yep. interference where they literally implemented challenges well, on pass interference because of it. Then this year, the Vikings push off. And then the year before, they had the, the Minneapolis yeah. miracle. I mean, that's just a ton of heartbreak. I think they're going to break the streak. I think they're going to get to the Super Bowl. And I think they're going to win it. I think the New Orleans Saints will be the 2020-2021 Super Bowl champions. Although, I don't, I don't think you can count out whatever team Tom Brady decides to go to. I mean, that's an interesting thing. Did you see that Hulu commercial? Yeah, that was it awesome. Was, it was so anticlimactic, though. It was almost to build... Suspense. More, it's suspense about it. He goes, for me, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. But I, I mean, there's no way. If he was making his announcement, it would have come out by now. I personally don't think Tom Brady's going anywhere. And I don't know why a team necessarily would really want Tom Brady. If I'm another yeah, team right now, unless year. you're about to. Yeah, it's, exactly. For one year, such on the decline, as, as great as Tom Brady has been, at, he's the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Keep taking care of his body and trying to play for... For a long time, I mean, at some point, you just had to look at the facts and say he's on the decline. It's tough to say, but I, I think it is true. He doesn't challenge the ball down the field enough anymore. A lot of short routes, which they've always been known for doing. Mm-hmm. But I think him and Belichick have run the same system for so long, and I really don't think he'd be successful anywhere outside of New England. And I don't think he'll leave New England. I personally don't. Or The age-old question's always been, can Tom Brady win without Bill Belichick? And can Bill Belichick win without Tom Brady? And I don't think there's any reason why they would want to separate because they've won, what, five or six Super Bowls and Tom Brady has become the best quarterback of all time and Bill Belichick's the best coach of all time. So why break that up for one year when it might add a little bit to Tom Brady's legacy if he goes and wins wins a Super Bowl with, he's rumored to be looking at Tennessee or the Chargers. But I mean, if you win all your championships with one team and spend your whole career with one team, I think that's a greater legacy than leaving for one year 
and winning a Super Bowl. I think so too. I when you look at guys, you look at the Patriots, and this is one of the most dominant sports franchise dynasties in any sport ever yep. in the in the modern era. And I disinclude the Boston Celtics because there was like eight teams in the league yeah. at that time when they had won eleven championships or whatever. You're talking about a 32-team league, and they've <laughs> won six Super Bowls in the last 20 years, yeah. less than that, 17 years. They go to the Super Bowl all the time. They've only lost three. And there's five or six franchises that have never won one. Exactly. And how dominant they've been. This is It's really been unbelievable. What we've witnessed, we're going to be talking about in 30 years when we say, yeah, I remember the 2010 Patriots and the 2000s Patriots and the Manning-Brady rivalry. It's brought so much. And I really think that the Patriots and the Colts brought it above baseball above basketball where it is the sport of america it'll be interesting to see where tom brady goes i hope he stays um i think he will yeah that's it yep i'm zach goodman and uh thank you jordan for joining us today yeah thanks for having me and of course we'd also like to thank sam who joined us for the hockey section of this podcast and thank you to you all for listening Alrighty, uh we'll see you guys in a couple weeks have a good one 